A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you it's easier than you think. Welcome in. We are live here on this Thursday draft day in the NFL and a huge show for you. Steve Weiss at the NFL Network going to join us as we will dissect what the Falcons do at eight. Plus, we got some Braves news that has Braves fans very excited. I told you all to be patient. It was going to happen, and it is, and it is happening tonight so we will talk to grant mccauley about that as well we've got a lot to do here on a to z and i want to start with obviously the nfl draft because you know there is a couple of hours left until this whole thing kicks off and and all of the white noise and all of the back and forth and all the consternation about what everybody's trying to do and oh god the mock drafts oh god the mock drafts thank god they'll all come to a close although somebody will release one tomorrow for the mock draft for next year because that's what we do in NFL circles. We oversaturate the entire world with football. Okay. I've been trying to dissect this, and we've talked about this for the last two weeks. I've been trying to dissect this pick, and I've said something repeatedly that all I want is it for to be easy for the Falcons, right? Like, I just want the pick to be obvious. I just want it to be something that is so readily apparent that they can't really be second-guessed. And they haven't had that for the better part of, oh, I don't know, Seven years now since Vic Beasley was drafted. I don't care what anybody says. You can talk to me about Todd Gurley. Vic Beasley was the right pick. He was the obvious pick. He was the smart pick when they picked him in 2015. It made sense. So I hope that this happens again. Now, speaking of those aforementioned mock drafts, three of the best in the biz have their final mock drafts out. Mel Kuyper, Todd McShay of ESPN, and Dane Brugler of The Athletic. Those are the guys that I look to with their mock drafts as the ones who really kind of provide, I think, the best insight. Uh, and it was a couple of years ago that Mel Kuyper predicted that the Falcons would take Calvin Ridley. He got that one right uh, when not a lot of other people did. So uh, because one year, by the way, I tracked it all. I literally took like over 100 mock drafts starting on January 1st all the way through the NFL draft from major media outlets, ESPN, CBS, uh, Bleacher Report, wherever it were. You know, wherever they were, uh, wherever they were posted, NFL.com, I took them all and and basically waited out the picks and then did a total of what everybody thought they were going to pick. And there were only four drafts that year that had the Falcons taken uh, Calvin Ridley and, and Mel Kuyper's final mock was one of them. So anyway, I say all that to say that, you know, again, uh, everybody's got a mock draft. So none of this stuff is written in stone, but I started to look at these things and figure out how it's going to be easy for the Falcons to make a selection tonight where they can walk to the podium and feel confident in the player that they're getting and have the fan base go, I get it. That's smart. I'm okay with that, right? And and I, I, I take these mock drafts just as a way to sort of look at things and go, okay, let's see how the chips fall. For example, Mel Kuyper in his final mock, okay? I'm going to give you the picks leading up to the Falcons. Javon Walker at one, Aiden Hutchinson at two, Eka McWano at three, Sauce Gardner at four, Charles Cross at five, Evan Neal at six, Jermaine Johnson at seven. Now, Mel Kuyper has the Falcons picking Garrett Wilson at eight from Ohio State, first receiver off the board. Uh, and Garrett Wilson is a phenomenal player, but you know my thoughts on them taking a wide receiver. I think it's a bad, bad idea. The problem is, and where you're going to get second guessed, is you're leaving not one, but two players 
that you cannot pass up on, in my opinion. One of them, Kayvon Thibodeau, who actually has going 12 to the Vikings, falling all the way to 12. And the other one, Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback out of LSU. I think both of those positions, because for me, again, pass rusher, cornerback, and offensive tackle are the three that, that, that they really should be choosing from at this point in time, right? Like, you cannot pass up those positions if they are there. They instantly make your team better. They instantly can start and play, and they instantly will be building blocks, if they're good, of the future, period, right? So, uh, and and you'll say, you know, I mean, every first-round draft is good to building block. Yeah, uh, right now, Kyle Pitts is not a building block. He's fairly useless at this point in time. Your offense is going to score 19 points a game again. Like, Kyle Pitts isn't doing anything for you, hence why you don't need a wide receiver. So, you pass up Derek Stingley, can't do it. Pass up Kayvon Thibodeau, can't do it. Let's go to Dane Brugler. Dane Brugler, his final mock has Trayvon Walker going one, Aiden Hutchinson going two, Derek Stingley going three, Eki Ikwanu at four, Evan Neal at five, Charles Cross at six, Source Gardner at seven, and he has the Falcons taking Jameson Williams at eight. The problem is, is that you left Kayvon Thibodeau on the board. Can't do it. If Kayvon Thibodeau falls to eight, the Falcons absolutely cannot pass him up. I don't care if he's a bust. I do not care if he's a bust. You cannot pass up Kayvon Thibodeau. You just can't. There is too much hype around him. There is too much upside at this point. There is too much of, of exactly what the Falcons have been looking for for the better part of 15 years for them to walk away from that player. Can't do it. Absolutely cannot do it. Especially for a wide receiver. Especially for one. Now, let's get to Todd McShay. Trayvon Walker, one. Aiden Hutchinson, two. Derek Stingley, three. Iki Iquanu, four. Charles Cross, five. Evan Neal, six. Ahmad Gardner, seven. And then ding, 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 ding. What do we have for him, Johnny, at eight? Kayvon Thibodeau to the Falcons. Bam. Thank you. Now, here's the one hiccup with this. And this, I think, a matter comes down to a matter of uh, a, a, a matter of opinion, I guess, and everything else. Kayvon Thibodeau at eight would be my selection if it goes down that way. I think, look, Stingley and Gardner are gone. The two top corners are gone. All three tackles are gone. And the other two major pass rushers are gone. And Aiden, Aiden Hutchinson and Trevon Walker. So out of the three pass rushers, the three tackles and the two corners, that's eight. That's eight. And so one of those eight should be right there for the Falcons. That's how easy this is. However, here's the small rub. If that happens, okay, and it's a choice between Kayvon Dibodeau and Jermaine Johnson, if it's a choice between Derek Stingley Jr. and Jermaine Johnson, if it's a choice between Sauce Gardner and Jermaine Johnson, what do you do? Because Falcons fans will tell you, whichever one we pick, the other one is going to be great. That's what they'll tell you. Because that's what we've been trained to believe, right? <laughs> Falcons fans have been trained to believe they'll get this wrong, they'll screw it up. That's the only other rub. Me, I would take Thibodeau over Johnson. Like, I would take any of the other three over Johnson. I'd take the three offensive tackles over Johnson. I'd take either one of the corners over Johnson. And I would take all three pass rushers over Jermaine Johnson. The best thing that can happen for the Falcons, in my opinion, is for Jermaine Johnson to be overdrafted and drafted in front of one of those other pass rushers or in front of one of those other corners or in front of one of those other tackles so that dude falls to them. 
Now, if you're in a situation where it's Kayvon Thibodeau and Charles Cross, I don't think you can go wrong. I think it's just what your preference is. If you're in a situation where it's Charles Cross and Sauce Gardner, I don't think you can go wrong. And, and believe it or not, Jermaine Johnson may actually get drafted sooner because the drop-off after him as the pass rusher is pretty steep. After those four guys, Thibodeau, Johnson, Walker, and Hutchinson, the drop-off is pretty steep. So he may get drafted earlier. Because if there's a, a run, one, two, three, if it ends up being Walker, Hutchinson, and Thibodeau, one, two, three, then somebody's grabbing Jermaine Johnson. Because the drop-off after that is big. However, again, that's how this thing gets easy for me. Like, it really isn't that difficult. Now that I've been asking for it to be easy for all this time, it's really not that difficult in my opinion. You're, you're going to end up with one of the tackles, you're going to end up with one of the two corners, or you're going to end up with one of the top three pass rushers because that's eight. It shouldn't be any other way. The hard position, again, theoretically, is that if somebody gets taken in there, if Malik Willis gets taken at six, or Jermaine Johnson gets taken at seven, and you have the choice between one of those first eight that I just mentioned, then Falcons fans can go, oh, I would want the other guy. I would want the other. Well, I mean, I mean, you're, that's an advantageous position to be in. Then just trust your board. Trust your draft board. Whichever guy you had rated higher, that's the one you pick. I mean, it really is like, that's as easy as I can boil it down to. That's as simple as this thing can get for the Falcons tonight. So it is what it is. If it's not one of those eight guys, they're doing something wrong. I mean, could you sell me on Jermaine Johnson at nine? Yes, I just won't love it as much as the other guys. If they trust their, if it, I have to trust that they trust their draft board. If they have Johnson rated higher than Thibodeau or Johnson rated higher than Gardner or whatever it may be, I'll have to trust their judgment on it. But at a minimum, this really should end up being easy. The only way you screw this up, honestly, is if you go wide receiver. And some people will say you'll screw it up if you go quarterback, but I understand the logic. Don't go linebacker. Don't go running back. Don't go wide receiver. After offensive tackle, defensive end, and cornerback, quarterback, and then you can't screw it up. So it's easier than you think. All right, coming up next, Steve Weiss of the NFL Network will join us as we'll talk about the Falcons picking the entire First round tonight, risers, fallers, and what's going to happen all in Las Vegas. Stay with us. It's A to Z right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give me a follow on Twitter, at Mark Zeno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Don't forget to follow us as well, Locked On Sports Atlanta, at Locked On ATL, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. NFL draft just a few hours away, and here to talk about that and everything going on out in Las Vegas for the draft from the NFL Network. It's our good buddy Steve Weiss joining us here on A to Z. Steve, welcome. It is great to talk to you. You look fabulous, my friend. I'm just coming off air. You know, I'm here in studio in Los Angeles. <laughs> so I've, I've got I've got all the makeup and all that stuff going on. But by the time the draft kicks off, uh, when I'm on my couch watching it on NFL Network, I will look much different. Well, good. You, you you certainly worked hard enough to earn to to uh, to deserve a little bit of a break. All right. All the hoopla and everything all comes to a close today. All the white noise finally goes away. Uh, in the big picture, your opinion: Trayvon Walker going to be the number one overall pick? It it seems that way, and, and I and I only say it because of this. I mean, you're you're hearing a lot of it, but typically having you know, God, this is about my 18th, 19th draft. When you hear somebody linked to the first overall pick, especially in the days 
leading right up to the draft. I mean, even if it's a quarterback, it, that tends to be the case. Um, maybe the Jaguars pull an audible because you're hearing that inside the building, some people like an offensive tackle, Icky Iguanu, uh, is a guy they like. There's apparently some some feelings toward Aiden Hutchinson, and that's kind of the Jaguars. You know, if you know, there's no consensus, which I would think by now there's a consensus on who it is. Um, you know, and, and it looks like Trayvon Walker. We'll see, but. Again, this is a weird draft. You just don't know right now who that first pick is going to be. And I don't think it's a case of someone trying to protect the pick or not tip the pick. I just think with no quarterback destined for number one, um, there's a little mystery, a little intrigue. But the Jags know what they're going to do by now. Yeah, well, I mean, the reports were that even though Trent Baalke likes Trevon Walker, Shad Khan likes Aiden Hutchinson. And we kind of know who wins those arguments, don't we? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Well, again, you know, there's a reason why the Jaguars are are picking in the top 10 for the 14th time in the past 15 years. Yeah. And, you know, you have to allow your football people to make the football decisions because they're the ones who put all the time and the resources into it. And remember, Doug Peterson's involved now, too. And Doug Peterson's got some say in this as well. And, you know, you would hope, again, that him and Trent Balky are, are simpatico and they know exactly what they're doing on this. But Peterson's an offensive guy. He knows his biggest asset is Trevor Lawrence. And even though they just extended Cam Robinson a tackle, um, he may want some help on that front line, just seeing some of the caliber of offensive, you know, offensive players that they have on that side. Steve, uh, let's talk about the Falcons at eight. You've covered this team. You know them inside and out very, very well. Uh, let me just say this much, okay? And I, I just said this a moment ago. All I want for the Falcons at this point is it for, for it to be easy for them because nothing seems to be easy for this organization ever. Like they always seem to find the path of greatest resistance somehow. Uh, and that said, if, if I look at this objectively, the consensus top eight players, one of the three top defensive ends, one of the three top tackles, or the two top corners, Gardner and Stingley, one of those eight players is going to be there at eight. Like to me, it's just obvious. I mean, that is uh, – Somebody's going to fall to them at eight, whether it's Kayvon Thibodeau, whether it's Charles Cross, whether it's Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley. Like, to me, that's just the easiest thing to do. Will they do that, or are they going to be maniacal and draft a wide receiver? I don't think it's going to be wide receiver. Thank you. Um, look, but, but is, you know, to say it's maniacal is, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm like you. I see, I see 18 sacks last year and cannot get over that in 17 games, you only generated 18 sacks. So I'm thinking an edge player or a corner, something to some way affect the rush and affect the pass game, right? A good corner can give pass rush guys uh, more time to get to the quarterback. A good rush is is really, though, what, what generates the pressure that you need. So I think if Kayvon Thibodeau or Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State are there, they both fit Dean Pease's scheme, especially Johnson, believe it or not. You know, Pease likes these really hard rock outside linebackers that can generate pressure, but also generate enough attention so other players can get pressure, right? You don't need to be a 15-sack-a-year guy, but they can be an impact guy. Um, an offensive tackle could be there. Somewhere up front, there's going to be a run on a position, whether it's these edge rushers going one, two, and three, or two, three, and four, something like that, or these offensive tackles are going to come off the board. Um so that's going to allow someone at those positions to become free. And I think that's where the Falcons are in somewhat of a good position where someone's going to be there, but maybe not their ideal guy. And the one thing they cannot do is to break their board. 
they came off their rebuilding process this year when they chased Deshaun Watson, didn't get him, and as a result had to trade Matt Ryan, um, which is something they did not show that they were going to do leading all the way up to this. And you heard Arthur Smith at the league meeting say, hey, sometimes, you know, when you, you're thinking one way and all of a sudden you try to go another way, you have to regain your footing. So it shows that they upset the process. That's Oh, boy. Quick bit of technical difficulties here. We lost your audio. Something happened and we lost your audio, Steve. Um, we lost your audio for a second. But to to pick up, are you back? Do we have you? Do we have you, Steve? Let me see. Okay. We'll get we'll get you fixed here in a second. I'll tell you what, let's uh let's have you log out and then log back in. So uh we'll get Steve back here in a moment. But I, I think he's right in the sense of where we talk about you know, the Falcons process and what they have done and, and where they are in this thing. And I'm curious, and I think we got Steve back now, Steve, you are there. There we go. Do we have audio with you? Oh, you can hear me. I can't hear you. Oh, well. We no, no, fucked. I'm back. Oh, there now. We go. Okay, now we got you. Good. All right. Good. I apologize for the technical interruptions, but you're back. Great. Um, yeah. But to your point on the process thing, and, and they, they have to restart the process. And I agree hundred percent. I'm just curious. What I don't know is where that process starts. Is it in the trenches on the offensive line? Because I think there's a great argument to make one, to take one. I, I mean, whether it's you have you bookend your tackles. Clearly, they know. I think at this point, Caleb McGarry is not a long-term solution at tackle. Uh, they're not going to pick up his fifth-year option. They're going to walk away from him. Uh, and so, if you get somebody to play right tackle in a year or two, when you have to move off Jake McAdoo's, whether due to money or age or whatever, you already have his predecessor, or rather, his successor in position to do so. And at worst case, you've bookend tackles for the next two years on your offensive line, which isn't a bad thing for Arthur Smith. Well, keep in mind, though, the strength of this draft, like you're, you're technically right, right? But the strength of this draft, there are re some really good tackles that are going to be at the back end of the first and early available in the second. So the Falcons can move up to get some of those types of guys. So they don't necessarily need to go that way at eight. You know, I, again, I do think when you look at the real strength of this draft where the Falcons are drafting, it's an edge and corner. Yeah, absolutely wide receiver. There's some good offensive tackles there. But if you have to wait outside of wide receiver, if you're looking at interior players, if you had to wait, you can wait on the offensive line, right? Mm -hmm. Again, you can trade back up and, and get somebody in that area as opposed to a, a disruptive pass rusher. And all I've heard from inside that building for months is, we have got to affect the pass some way. We have got to – they've got to get faster as a team, right? They don't have any game breakers really speed-wise, and they've got to be able to affect the passer much better than what they did. And, again, that's where the Falcons are sitting. If one of those top four guys is there, including Jermaine Johnson of Florida State, yeah, that would seem like the most – you know, the, the best route to take. You don't know what they're going to do, but, again, that would seemingly make the most sense. You know, and I keep reminding people, when at least when it comes to the Falcons, right? We're focusing so much on eight, but really the totality of this draft is super important yes. to this team. They're, they're, and I said, look, they're in year zero of the Revo. They're not in year one because year one will start next year when all the money comes off the books. This is year zero. So none of this really counts towards rebuilding year, but still they've got to get two to three pieces here that they can really rely on going into year one of this rebuild. So the entire totality of this draft is going to be super important for them. And I think you mentioned it in the second and third rounds. And that said, Steve, uh, there are three teams inside the top 10 who all have multiple picks. There are two other teams with multiple picks in the first round. I would set the over-under of trades in the first round at two and a half and probably take the over. I think there's multiple trades tonight. Do you agree? I, I would agree. I mean, I think there's probably going to be three or four. Because, look, you look at Kansas City. They've got 
you know, two picks in the back end as do the Packers. You know, you mentioned the guys in the front end. Here's another team to look at. Seattle, yes, it picks nine. They love to move back, right? If somebody wants to come up and move with them, I'm sure they'll do it. But they also have back-to-back picks in a second round, 40 and 41. I could actually see them being a team that trades into the first round to possibly get one of these quarterbacks who are going to drop uh, towards the back end of the draft. So these are some of the things that I'm looking at, not necessarily hearing. I don't have a ton of science on that. But just to keep an eye on, on a couple teams like that. But real quick, Mark, to get back to what you said, the Falcons have five picks yeah. in the first three rounds. They've got to come out with, with four rotational, three or four rotational players and two or three starters. Because the one thing, when you look at some of these teams like the Texans, like the Lions, um, who you say don't have a nucleus to build around, right? The Falcons have less of a nucleus to build around. You've got Kyle Pitts and A.J. Terrell. And Lindstrom at guard, right? And that's Grady kind Jared, of if you can keep him. <laughs> well, Grady Jarrett, I, I think I think that that's going to get taken care of. Again, I don't right. have science on that, but again, is he is he a three or four year guy down the line when everything's yeah. going to be coming together? You just don't Probably. know. So I, I just singled out those three young players um, as the nucleus, and they've got to be able to going into next year's off season to say, okay, we've got five guys you're going to build around. So these are the free agents we're going to add. And this is the quarterback we're going to add to finally say, okay, we can again beginning to build out our flanks and things like that around these guys. So they really, they cannot miss uh, in the first half of this draft. 100%. Um, Let's address the elephant in the room because as you talk about a rebuild, and I am not necessarily advocating that the Falcons should take a quarterback at eight per se, but the logic is in a rebuild, step one is getting your quarterback. And, and you can't do a rebuild process without the quarterback situation settled for the foreseeable future. That means two to three years down the road, you know you have stability at the position. I.e., again, Cleveland figured it all out when Baker took over and had two or three years of runway to play. And even if he didn't play well, and even if he didn't play great, you knew that you could build everything around him because the quarterback situation was settled. From that standpoint, again, if the Falcons want to take a quarterback at eight, I don't hate it. I really don't because I, at a minimum, I've said this. One, you can't be afraid to make a mistake here. You can't be afraid to, to, to throw him to the wolves, figure out if he can play, and then if he can't, move off him a year later. I mean, the Bengals had no offensive line when they drafted Joe Burrow. They threw him in there, and while the Bengals didn't win games, you could see he could play. They were competitive, and that's all you're really asking for is a quarterback who can keep you in games and not make mistakes and be like, okay, we're missing pieces. He's got no help around him, but we can see he can play. And I'm okay with them taking it. Uh, I know none of these quarterbacks grade out that well and all that talk and everything else, but you're never going to rebuild without the quarterback situation settled. And I'm not sure why you would put it off a whole year. Uh, If Joe Burrow was in this year's draft, everybody would be clamoring to come get Joe Burrow. I mean, why do you think all these teams are making these trades for quarterbacks and moves for quarterbacks in the offseason prior to the draft? Because Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, those guys aren't there. Look, last year you were saying it's when they should have made their move for the quarterback. And frankly – Last year was their year when they should have made the move for the quarterback, when they were sitting at number four. Um, there were there were guys there that could have helped them, but they decided to stick with Matt Ryan and do what they did. And as I just mentioned, they still don't have a nucleus. Kyle Pitts was fantastic, right? Um, but they just do not have that. And, and that's the thing. This year, when you look at Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett and, and some of these guys, are they guys who you think are going to translate to be Joe Burrow? Right, you can draft Joe Burrow when one, you've got you know T. Higgins and some other wide receivers on the roster. Who's their guy for the Falcons? You got Joe Mixon at running back. 
who's that guy for the Falcons? You know, I love Cordero Patterson, but again, he's not a long-term no. um, option there, a skill guy. So, you know, it's a different makeup. The Falcons do not have a supporting group. So if you're going to bring, let's say, Malik Willis, whose skill set fits what Arthur Smith is going to try to do with Marcus Mariota, right? A lot of RPO game, a lot of scheduled runs, a lot of on-the-move passes. You can develop him behind Marcus, and everyone says he's a developmental guy with a, it just an immeasurable ceiling. So if you want to do that, Maybe that's fine, but then what's your nucleus, right? What you know? Again, do that. So you better you better come up, you know, into the first round and, and grab one of these tackles or grab someone who you think is going to be a pass, you know, a good, a good wide receiver there. Um, the cupboard's fairly bare. I'm not going to insult everybody by saying the cupboard is bare, but I say it's bare because these guys are on one and two year deals. These are the yeah. Raiders. They're the Raiders of 2012. When Reggie McKenzie went there with Dennis Allen, they had a bad salary cap situation. They had to take two years to clear the books before they found Derek Carr in the second round because they also had Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper that they found uh, to help things out all in a hurry. And that's what the Falcons are probably – that's more the model we're looking at, the Fal- Falcons trying to get back uh, on some footing right here. All right, one more. Um, and this gives more teams at the back end of the first round. Uh, and a la the Los Angeles Rams and – to quote Tyreek Hill, F them picks. Uh, is there a team at the back end of the first round that is willing to make a huge jump up to the top of the draft to go get an impact player that will push them over the top, whether it's Buffalo, um, whether it is you know a team like Tennessee maybe, who's going to say, forget next year's first round pick. I'm willing to give it away now because in reality, like if Buffalo does it, it's pick 28, it's pick 30. You know, Next year, they're going to be that good again. But is there a team you think that is willing to do that this year? Yeah, if I look at a team, it's probably Kansas City. Again, they, they're they're holding, you know, some ammo there at the back end of the draft where they might move up into the teens. They're not going to come up to the top ten. I mean, that's significant freight. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not coming up to get Patrick Mahomes. You know, something they did a couple years ago. But I can see them coming up to the back teens, early twenties. Um, you know, if they want to get a wide receiver, like say, get ahead of Green Bay to get a wide receiver. But I, I honestly think a, there's going to be some trades. But I also think a lot of these teams are going to sit where they are because to have multiple picks where you can hit some things, like just say the Packers, again, I don't think they're going to force a wide receiver, but just say someone like Jahan Dotson or Traylon Burks is there for them at 22, well, they can keep 28 and they can maybe find a right tackle or they can find an interior defensive player, which addresses needs right away because they're quarterbacks in a basically a year-to-year type of career right now. So – I look, you know, I look at the Packers maybe, but more so the Kansas City Chiefs to be a team to uh, to possibly trade up. Steve Weish of the NFL Network, one of the best in the biz. Absolutely, brother. You are the best. Appreciate the time as always. Enjoy draft night tonight. Great work as always. Thanks for the time. Appreciate you too, Mark. All right. Uh, take a time out. Come back. We'll head to news to the Atlanta Braves. Getting some good news about Ronald Acuna. That's next right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube, wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Zino, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O, and follow us at Locked On ATL. Make sure you check out all the great shows that we have here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, whether it is A to Z, whether it's ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste. Don't forget about Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Of course, Locked On Falcons, Locked On Hawks, and don't forget of course, about our Braves postcast with the one and only next guest joining me right here on 
A to Z. It is Grant McCauley in the house. Grant, welcome. Good to talk to you finally, brother. And I'm glad we're back on the same team again, like, you know, yeah. working in the same place. I like it. I like it. We've worked in a few different places. This one is a very <laughs> exciting one, though. We both got our own shows and stuff going on. We're building, I think, a really great following and giving sports fans of Atlanta exactly what they want, which is their team all the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know the long list of people who want to hear A to Z on a routine basis. I do know. I'm on yeah. that list. <laughs> all right. Big news. Uh, Ronald Cunha gets called up just a wee bit earlier than expected. I think May 6th was the initial target date, but um, he looks good down in AAA. Look, everybody screamed, he's ready, he's ready, bring him up, bring him up. And I was just like, guys, one, like, don't oversell this thing because, like, you know, it's not going to change anything four or five more days isn't going to be the issue. But, you know, there was so much about having to go through the rigors of, you know, travel and then rehab, playing a full game, playing a day game after a night game. All those reps were the things that they were trying to figure out how his body and his knee were, were going to react, which is, I think, why the process took a little bit longer. And furthermore, oh, by the way, you had to make a corresponding move to get rid of somebody, which always isn't easy because some of these guys have limited number of options that you can get rid of. So all that, you know, comes to fruition. Nonetheless, we get Ronald Acuna back and excitement is abound. Yeah, no, there's a lot of excitement about this because when you get one of the best players in baseball back, it's going to have a big influence on what your lineup does. I think it can have an impact moving forward on what this outfield defense is going to be because that's been pretty questionable early in the year. A weakness that you knew without Ronald was going to be there, but I just didn't necessarily expect it to be as blatant as it has been over the first three weeks of the season. But as far as the rehab timetable was concerned, I always felt like, yeah, they can say May 6th, but if he's not back by that Met series to start the month of May, I was going to be a little bit surprised. I'm still kind of surprised that he's coming back for the finale against the Cubs. But, you know, you give him a little bit of an opportunity to continue to knock the rust off, continue to get those reps, continue to kind of, you know, feel what it is to play every single day, which is what Major League Baseball asks of you. And particularly because I think the Braves are going to try to, you know, manage the workload as much as they can with some spots in DH and, and some starts in right field and the occasional off day, especially for day games after uh, night games. But I think that giving Ronald this four or so game run to get ready for that Mets series is also a pretty smart move because at this point, you've seen him for a week or so in AAA. He does feel good. He's been up to the task. His timing looks good. He's drawing his walks. He's stealing bases. He's doing the kind of stuff that Ronald Acuna Jr. does, and that will only make the Braves better in the lineup, in the field, and hopefully in the standings. Grant, you know, you mentioned the lead up to the Mets series, and and I don't look, I try to tell people stop panicking for the last two weeks. I mean, there's just so much ridiculousness between sports talk hosts in this city screaming about it, this, that, and the other. And mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, oh, they're five games back in the Mets. I'm like, dude, the Mets are playing 700 baseball. That's not going to continue. Yeah. The Mets will come back to the pack, not because they're the Mets. Well, it's fun to say because of the Mets, but in general, they'll, they'll come back to the back because nobody plays 700 baseball for an extended period of time. Like there's going to be a stretch where the Mets are going to lose 12 out of, out of 18 games and you're going to be able to make up ground. So I wasn't worried about it, but that said, because there is a little bit of a gap game wise, was any of that gamesmanship about facing the Mets and having Acuna like a, a better version of Acuna than the first game back? Like if it was only a two game difference, are we seeing Ronald Acuna back against the Mets series? If they were only trailing the Mets by two games. I don't think they're really looking at the standings too much, but more so like this is that opportunity to have these interdivisional games, which are very valuable because quite obviously when the Braves and Mets go head to head, that can mean a game in the standings for you know either side. If they split right. a four game series, well, it doesn't mean much at the end of the four days other than 
four days got ripped off the calendar. You don't have those again later. But there's some importance to this series because, look, I mean, you can win a division by three or four games by having a hot second half, and the Braves have shown us they can do that. But you can also lose a division by you know digging yourself into too big of a hole early on. And I'm certainly not saying the Braves are there yet, but getting Ronald back, having him in tow for a big showdown like you're having with the New York Mets, who – by the way, do look better across the board. They did spend a lot of money. They did get some very good baseball players, and they have a manager who I think is a bit more up to the task of leading the kind of club that they want to have up there in New York. There's a lot of different factors that would lead me to believe that this Mets team is a little bit different, and they're accomplishing all of this without Jacob deGrom thus far. So some very interesting things for me that I look at that make this year's Mets club a little bit different than previous Mets club, but when it, or Mets clubs. But when it comes to the Braves and Mets, having Ronald Acuna Jr. back, I think, gives this club a little bit more energy, a little bit more thump, a little bit more of a whole bunch of things that the Braves haven't really shown over the first three weeks. It just hasn't been consistent baseball, particularly on the offensive side. Well, again, I would remind Braves fans, a reference to the Mets. One, they're the Mets. Two, Buck Schulter has never actually won anything. He's great at turning teams around and getting into the playoffs, but he's never actually won anything. I don't say there's a knock because I like Buck. You know, yeah, I, I covered him in Baltimore for years. So he's a great dude. But, yeah. you know, it is the Mets, so I wouldn't worry too much. But um, I do think it. he's a he's I, a good a good transitional kind of manager for them. Absolutely. the worst. If they get a better guy later, that's fine. But this is a guy who does know how to win in the course of the regular season, and we'll see if he's able to do that in terms of what he can elevate the Mets to from a club that had this division sewn up, it felt like, heading into the All-Star break last year, and then fell flat on its face. They can't really afford to do that kind of thing and spend a quarter of a billion dollars on their payroll. Yeah. All right. Um, let's talk about the lineup because the only observation, and I said this on A to Z as we got launched right after, you know, April 1st and had the first uh, couple of weeks or for first couple of days of the season under our belt shortly thereafter. My only observation after the first, you know, week of baseball was two things. One, I thought the strikeouts were a little bit high. Yeah. I hope to see them come down from the team offensive standpoint, a lot of strikeouts. And that's starting to come back to the pack a little bit. But two, the other thing was a leadoff spot. Um, Rosario struggled from day one. Now, we know clearly now he's had a problem like, you know, seeing in general, mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> which is always hard to hit a baseball when you can't it see. Hard. Yeah, yeah uh, it's a little more difficult than normal. But that said, Ronald at the back of the top of the lineup obviously is going to table. I mean, well, if you had Ronald Acuna with Matt Olson tearing the cover off the ball for the first 14 games, they might have a completely different record just because Ronald would be on base more. And I think that's really the hope that this lineup, which is built from the top down, unlike a lot of other lineups in Major League Baseball, which are now built from the middle out, but the, the, the Braves are sort of traditional in that sense with, with the top of their lineup being their strength. Uh, I expect to see a quick sort of little jolt in the offense, no? Yeah, no, there's an explosiveness that this Braves lineup has with Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top because he's a guy that can open up the game with a bang, and he is your best hitter. I want him having the most played appearances of anybody on this team, and that's kind of why I look at it maybe where traditional guys would say, oh, well, Matt Olson needs to have a bunch of runners on base before he comes up, and that would be great, but that also is kind of the job at the bottom of the lineup to perform a little bit better. But when it comes to how many at-bats and how many plate appearances my best hitters are going to get, Let me stack them up at the top, and then hopefully the back end of the lineup, the bottom of the lineup, will start to perform a little bit more up to norms because that has not been the case. The Braves' seven, eight, nine hitters overall, like the the composite numbers, have been pretty bad. I would say probably about as bad as you'll find across the National League and maybe all of baseball if you go track it all down for all 30 clubs. But Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Marcelo Zuna, Ozzie Albies, and Travis Darno, one through six, 
I think that's going to be pretty powerful. And if Duvall starts to get it figured out, if you get something out of Travis Demerit for a little while that, you know, excites you and you have him up and in the mix. And then, of course, Dansby Swanson is off to a just a very slow start with a lot of strikeouts. But he's been a streaky player. But he showed again on Wednesday that when the big moment comes around, he's a guy that's going to deliver you a few hits and a few of those throughout the year, too. So I think it's a great group overall. But you're right. At the top of the order, you can make it an explosive start and you get Ronald up to the plate as many times as you possibly can in a game, that is nothing but a good thing. Grant, let's take one quick look at the pitching in general. Look, the bullpen has been the strength, right? We, we've seen them do what they're supposed to do to this point. Um, how are you grading the starting pitching? Ian Anderson has been a, a head scratcher at this point, especially with his two home starts being his bad, considering how good he has been at home throughout his entire career. Um, you know, Kyle Wright has been good. Uh, you get Bryson Elder. And, and what is he? I mean, we have the six-man rotation. One, should they go back to the five-man rotation now that we're a little bit deeper and pitchers are a little bit more stretched out? And uh, what do we make of the, of the starting rotation so far? I think they're going to go back to the five-man rotation very soon. And there is that Who's double header out? inside of that New York series. I mean, right now, if you're asking me who the Braves' best five starting pitchers are that I think they're going to go to the post with, it's going to be Max Fried. It's going to be Charlie Morton. I know he's struggling. It's going to be Ian Anderson, who's been kind of up and down. Kyle Wright has really been the savior of the staff. He has looked outstanding. And then I think at that fifth spot right now, it's kind of Bryce Elder's to lose. But the walks have been a little bit alarming for me, for him, the last couple of outings. That's not really something that he was doing a lot of in AAA, especially when he was dialed in. But there could be more opportunity for guys, whether it's Tucker Davidson, whether we see Waskari Noah again at some point. He had his own things to figure out or Kyle Muller or Tuki Toussaint. There's a lot of guys that you can mess with in that fifth spot or use if you do need to give everybody a day throughout the course of the season. But it's, you've really got to get Charlie Morton on track. I think that's really what's holding the Braves back right now is he had a pretty good outing his first time, and you thought, hey, Charlie Morton looks like he's back. And the last three have kind of devolved into levels of, I think that he's kind of fighting himself a little bit on the mound to get back to where he was because he finished 2021 on a very good run. And the only thing that really set him back was the fact he broke his leg in the World Series. I don't think that physically that's so much a problem, but I think mentally and maybe for some feel stuff and maybe some slight mechanical things, Charlie Morton is still kind of trying to reestablish himself after a long layoff, a short spring training. There's a lot of different things in there, but he hasn't made a lot of excuses other than saying, look, I'm letting the team down every fifth day and I got to figure this out. Any concerns about Ian Anderson at this point? Not really. I think that the big thing with him is going to be fastball command. I think you can tell a lot about Ian Anderson by where he's locating his fastball in the first inning or two of the games. If he's missing consistently up and out of the zone, it's a non-competitive pitch. And even with an 80-grade changeup, which I believe he has, one of the best changeups that any young pitcher can have, it's not going to entice the hitters to get out of the strike zone because you're not ahead, you know, 0-1, 0-2, 1-2. You're not in the count where you can really utilize your other weapons maybe leaning a little bit more on his breaking ball as well and doing a little bit of what Kyle Wright's doing where he's just pounding the strike zone with fastballs. Then he's using his breaking ball. Anderson's weapons more so the changeup, but you've got to be able to you know, consistently command it. And that to me has been when Ian Anderson's been at his best. And when you watch these starts where he's at 70 pitches after three innings, you pretty much know what's wrong is he's just out of the strike zone and hitters are waiting him out. And when they wait him out, he ends up out of the game a lot earlier than Brian Snitker and the Braves would like. He is Grant McCauley. Make sure you guys check out the Braves postcast after every single Braves game right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Uh, everything else Braves related, Grant, the floor is yours. Where else can they find you? 
Well, you can find me, obviously, on the Lockdown Braves postcast. You can also find me over on Battery Power on SB Nation. Corey McCartney and I are doing a great show over there. I've got my show from the Diamond, which I'm going to be making a big announcement about here ever so soon. And, of course, 11 Alive Sports and a lot of other places. Just check me out on Twitter. You'll find all the links, all the videos, all the audio, all the things at Grant McCauley is where you can find me. All right, brother. Well, you and I will catch up soon on the outside for a beer and a, and a slice sure. or whatever. Uh, great to talk to you. It's always great to see you again. Thanks for the time. Thank you. All right. Uh, that'll do it for us here on A to Z. Thank you guys for making A to Z your first listen every single day. Don't forget to check out ATL Day Ones with Jarvis Davis and Tanitra Batiste and also Hitting Hard with John Chuckery every day right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Enjoy the draft tonight. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on A to Z. Have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See you.